going solo can feel lonely. It's very lonely. What keeps me going every morning is I'm waking up and I'm excited to start my day. I'm excited to do this work. And no matter what challenge comes, I have this mindset of I'm going to get through that. I'm going to learn something new. Like, how cool is that? From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a long career as an employed professional. Today on episode 136 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with the founder of Campfire Kinship, Gayathri Shukla. Gayathri transitioned to entrepreneurship after a 17-year career as a corporate employee. On today's episode, Gayathri shares how she has been able to connect her unique skills and experiences with opportunities in her target market. Stay with us to hear all the details. Learning and consistency are two of the themes you'll hear from Gayathri. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, we provide consistent learning opportunities and the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Now let's welcome Gayathri Shukla. Gayathri is the founder of Campfire Kinship, a social enterprise on a mission to unlock the power of empathy through story-based solutions. Gayathri practices human-centered design and is also certified in an innovative method of storytelling called guided autobiography. She empowers individuals to discover their authentic strengths while creating inclusive cultures via workshops, keynotes, and creative storytelling campaigns. Gayathri transitioned to entrepreneurship after a 17-year career in the energy sector. She has an electrical engineering and executive MBA degree and volunteers on the board of Calgary Immigrant Women's Association. Gayathri, welcome to the show. Thank you, David, for having me. 17 years is a long time. What triggered your transition into entrepreneurship? That's, you know, I believe entrepreneurship is something where you feel a sense of calling. If I can use that word, you see a problem that you may not have been a part of, but you have inherited and you just have this burning desire to go make some waves in the solution space. And so I saw a need and I decided that it was time to go answer that need through the solutions that I would like to offer. And it was such a big transition from what I was doing, but I I feel like all of the experiences and skills that I had built up to that point in 17 years of my career has positioned me perfectly to embark on this entrepreneurial journey. It definitely is a big transition. How long before you left your job did you start thinking about making the transition? I think the initial idea came to me while I was doing my MBA. So about 15 years into my career, I decided I would do an executive MBA, which was something that I did as I was working full time. So here I was working a 40 hour a week job and, you know, managing my family with two kids and (laughs) studying. So over the course of 18 months, I completed an MBA. And one of our courses was on entrepreneurship. And I just got really excited by what I learned in that class. And I think that's where I had this idea of what I wanted to do. And so after that, I guess COVID hit a year after my MBA, And I found that I had extra time on my hands now that I wasn't required to travel or commute. And I just started a creative hobby 
<laughs> based on some of the things that I had learned in my uh, new venture class. And it turned out to be something that I could see potential in. And so it, it took me at least, I would say, a good two years before I decided to make the leap to f- quitting my full-time job and going into this full-time. And did you think that it was going to be two years when you first set out on, the, on that course? I didn't know what to think, actually, David. I think there was a lot of fear for me, to be totally honest, with regards to whether or not I could make this work. I think I I saw it as a hobby at the beginning, and in some ways, COVID almost accelerated my journey. Even though COVID is this terrible tragedy, I feel like there's been some silver linings in there for me in terms of just being able to dedicate some time to it outside of my full-time job and then seeing the traction that came along with me doing that. And um, tell me a little bit about the actual business itself. Like, what's the problem you solve? How do you solve it? And and what's your business model? Yeah, so the the overall business is in the space of inclusion and diversity. The problem that I saw was there was a lot of great intent in this field with corporations primarily who wanted to create more inclusive cultures, and they were really focused on things like strategy and policy. And those are, those are all important things. And at the same time, I felt that change needed to happen at an interpersonal level. You know, how do we treat each other who are different from us? How do we each feel a sense of belonging or not? And so I thought empathy would be sort of the central approach towards solving for that problem. And I learned about this throughout my MBA that I mentioned using human-centered design. I used to be someone who also really was interested in storytelling. And I was just able to see how all of these concepts presented a path forward to create empathy and to build more inclusive cultures through the use of personal stories, through people being able to reflect on their journey and being able to share that in a group setting and start to appreciate each other more for the unique strengths that they bring. And so I, as I mentioned, I was doing that as, as a hobby. And then I started to get requests from companies, from universities, from nonprofits to offer these workshops to them and to actually pay for those workshops. And so I started to realize that, hey, there's a real need here. People are looking for different ways to connect with each other that doesn't feel like it's alienating or judgmental, you know, to have certain views or backgrounds that people have and actually gets people together on a shared future and a shared journey towards what unity means for them. So that's a little long-winded, but that's how I ended up doing what I do to solve this problem in general that I saw in the inclusion diversity market. So Gayathri, so so you weren't necessarily thinking about starting this as a business. Initially, you were just doing it because you like doing it. Yes, exactly. The actual field that I'm in is uh, engineering, David, and that, or was, I would say. I, I still am an engineer, but I'd spent 17 years of my career doing some pretty technical core industrial engineering work before I transitioned into leadership and then my role sort of evolved into project management, transformation and change management. And so even there, I think a lot of uh, the work that I do now has a similar thread in terms of leadership development, coaching and managing change. And so I'm able to pull on those threads into the work that I do now, but a very different field. I was working on digital technology and engineering related problems for the oil and gas uh, before starting this work. And now my work is industry agnostic. Right. Well, e- even management, if you're staying in the same industry, management is um, taps into different skills than doing technical work. 
Absolutely. And I would say that's when I first got a perspective on inclusion and diversity was when I was tasked with leading a diverse team. And I got to see the strengths that come when truly you can leverage the unique skill sets that everybody brings to the table in a positive and productive way. And I also got to see what happens when that doesn't happen. (laughs) And as a result, how teams don't perform at their best if there isn't mutual trust if there isn't a culture where they feel a sense of belonging. And I think that personal experience probably really motivated me to start looking at this from a different lens to say, this is possible. It is possible to get a group of really diverse folks to work well together. And it starts with that empathy piece. Gayathri, what does diversity mean to you? To me, diversity is something that goes beyond our visible differences When I talk about visible differences, obvious ones are race, ethnicity, gender, right? I think it also includes diversity in terms of the way we think, neurodiversity, our socioeconomic backgrounds, things that we may not know about each other, like where we went to school, for example. So diversity is a mix of all of those attributes that make a group different or similar. And when you say that you you experienced what happens when diversity causes teams not to work well, not to, not to be effective and not to have trust. What are some of the outcomes that those kinds of teams experience? I hear a <laughs> siren in the back. I think the outcomes that teams that are diverse but don't necessarily know how to leverage that diversity experience is a lack of trust. So I, I think there's a distinction here that's important to be made, which is you can have all the diversity that you want But if you don't have an inclusive culture, that diversity might actually be counterproductive. I think it can lead to outcomes like more tension in the team, higher levels of anxiety, more time to reach a decision because there are so many different viewpoints and the inability to corral all those different viewpoints into a future that everybody is committed to. So I think it's really important in a diverse team and especially in a diverse team that is not homogeneous to intentionally create the behaviors and skill sets that we need in order to make that team inclusive. And when I say inclusive, it really is the act of ensuring that every single person on the team feels they're valued and feels that what they bring to the table is appreciated. Right. So what are the actual consequences that that companies experience when these teams are, are not performing well? I think the biggest consequence, and we've seen this play out in the recent year with the the great resignation, (laughs) the trend that's been um, trending all over social media, right? And I think the biggest consequence is, is that employees will leave. They leave their organization. They leave their manager. They say that people don't leave jobs. They leave their leaders. And I think it's especially true in the case of inclusion and diversity because people don't feel valued. They start looking elsewhere, right? I think that's one of the biggest consequences. And then the second big one is mental health. Uh, I think a toxic workplace culture breeds a lot of mental health issues. And that's on top of what we're already dealing with, with the pandemic and with every every other stressor that we're seeing. You know, we have the social justice movements like the Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, and all of these things have already contributed to a sense of not feeling belonging and fragmentation and this just makes it worse. So it is important to acknowledge that. Right. So then on the flip side, when a team is working well because they have built a trust and they have a sense of belonging, 
what kinds of results can companies expect to see? There has been so many studies on this, David. It's interesting, even in terms of when we talk about the business case. And I feel like we've also reached a point where it's we've moved away from just talking business case and we're recognizing it's the right thing to do. But when we talk about business case, there's studies that show that teams that are gender and ethnically diverse outperform their peers by, I think it was the magnitude of almost up to 35% financially, which is a huge uh, advantage if you think about it, just in terms of the numbers. And then the other huge benefit that I see is you really feel like you're working on something that's much bigger than yourself and you're in the pursuit of something much more important. And that's your organizational goal or purpose, right? And I feel that especially the newer generation wants to feel like they're working on purpose-driven work. You know, they're, they're making a difference in the lives of others. They're making the planet better because we have lots of societal, environmental issues. And I think companies that become or have a purpose aspiration, people want to see that purpose being activated, not just being talked about. And so if people can feel a sense of belonging and feel like they're part of something much bigger than this themselves, I think that in a utopic state would be the ideal that companies want to achieve. Yeah, certainly um, something that we should all be striving towards. So uh, congratulations on uh, making this shift and really combining your unique set of skills and experiences into something that that's quite powerful. Can you talk to me a little bit about your your business model and actually how you deliver your services? Yeah, for sure. So I have a couple of different offerings, I guess I'll call it. Uh, the first one is an assessment, which is, for example, a client that I work with would bring me in and ask me to look at the assessment of where they're at, what their starting point is on the EDI, I say EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion journey. So that looks like me doing a survey focus groups, talking to people, interviewing folks on the team to understand what their current baseline is and the environment that they're working within, uh, looking at their policies, their structure, and all of those things. Once the assessment has been completed, I offer training. And I also do the training as standalone workshops with others that don't start with the assessment, but feel like they're already at a place where they can utilize education in specific areas. So the training looks like empathy workshops, you know, just teaching people the skills on how to build empathy, active listening, giving positive feedback, and intentionally creating spaces to practice that. So uh, I do a lot of uh, work in empathy skill development on its own. I also have workshops on inclusive leadership. You know, what are the behaviors of inclusive leaders and how do we get to practice that in a safe and supportive small group setting? So I design workshops around that. Values alignment. I help people connect their personal values to their team's values uh, and be able to share their personal experiences on why this value is important to them or why the team mission is important to them, again, in that group setting. And then I also have specific workshops just geared around anti-racism, you know, gender-based analysis and all of those other factors or external markers of diversity that we talked about. So that's kind of the core offering is the workshops. And then on the community side, I also have a couple of projects that I'm working on that I've received grants. And this includes a book project working on a book to highlight the stories of diverse immigrants to Canada. And so the workshops that I host actually have a writing element. So it's a wonderful way for people to capture their written stories and have them published in a book. 
And so I'm leading 40 participants through that process as we speak. Uh, and then I also have a video storytelling project that has also received a grant. And our objective there is to just have bite-sized, short four-minute videos, four to five-minute videos, educating people on how to have a conversation that addresses uh, maybe a polarizing topic where there's really different viewpoints and having them be able to build empathy across that difference and actually invite similarities to build up that shared humanity as opposed to being stuck in whatever our entrenched polarized position is. So those are a couple of different things that I do. And then I also have keynotes. Uh, I am a keynote speaker, so I do a lot of um, speaking (laughs) on these topics and writing, as I mentioned. So I, I work with magazines and other publications to uh, write about the topic of ED&I or the stories of really everyday diverse role models. Right. So you have a lot of different threads of ways that you deliver your offerings to your audience. Absolutely. I guess if I were to lump it all together, it would be there's the, the training and education component, as well as actually demonstrating diversity by storytelling campaigns. So those are sort of the two different avenues. Guthrie, as you were Building your business, how did you figure out what models would work best? That's a great question, David. I, f- I feel like, to be honest with you, I stimmied a lot on the different possibilities. I took out all my MBA textbooks and I, <laughs> I read all of the, the MBA 101, you know, business model type stuff that they teach you. And I was still struggling to figure out what my niche market is or what my niche offering is. So I did, a, I did all of this market analysis. I looked at what's currently out there, what others are already doing. And I, I did want to create something that is a little bit more unique and going back to my passions, which is storytelling and being able to take an inventory of all of my skills and, and being able to start from where I already have strengths and skill sets in. And so I knew I wanted to do storytelling and I knew it was for addressing this need in this inclusion diversity market that I that I told you. So I think for me, it just became, okay, let me try. Let me just try it. Do it for free. Do it pro bono, <laughs> right? Work with um, nonprofits and do some fundraising events through these workshops pro bono, see where it goes. And then I was able to see that there was traction in that area where others were contacting me and asking me if I would do this for them. And so that made me realize, okay, I, I see there's market viability here. And so let me just do that. <laughs> but it, was, it wasn't an easy overnight I just wake up in the morning and decide what I was going to do. It took this time to build it out. No, it's pretty clear that that a lot of analysis went into the decision about the the particular model that you've arrived at now, because there's the self-reflective piece that you just described, like understanding your core strengths and also what it is you feel most compelled to try to solve, identifying who you think you'd like to serve, but also doing the market analysis on who they are, what it is they perceive their problems to be, what they're willing to invest money to try to solve, as well as looking at what other solution providers are doing to, you know, competitive analysis. So it's, yeah, I know these things are not quick at all. And also doing them doing them on, on yourself can be a lot more, I would say it's more emotionally challenging than if you're doing this, like when you do this kind, this kind of analysis on somebody else's business, as the analyzer, you're, you're emotionally very agnostic about yes. the result. Whereas when you do it for yourself, 
you know, your own emotions come into play very strongly. So it's, um, it can be hard to have some objectivity at it, even though you have the skills from your MBA training and from all your years in business to be able to do this kind of analysis. Plus, you know, you have all the technical training from engineering. So yeah, you have a great background to do the kind of analysis, yet doing it on yourself is still daunting. Absolutely. I think the one thing that really helped me, David, is I had a coach. I was working with a personal coach for almost over two years. And speaking of that emotional side of it, right, I think he became sort of my sounding board to move myself back into an objective lens when I felt like I was getting caught up with some of the results. And I think that really transformed the way I started to approach things and approaching it from a learning mindset to say, it's okay if something didn't work out. Uh, Here's what I learned. And let me pivot and do something different. I think that really helped bringing that objectivity. Yeah. How did you find the coach? So his name is Drew. I did a podcast episode with him on my podcast just recently. I found him through my Queen's program. So we had career coaches and executive coaches that uh, were willing to support students as they transitioned out of their MBA. And I found a really good working style with him. And I I said to him, Drew, I'm hanging on to you. (laughs) We're doing this together. So he was a very positive influence for me. And I'm, I'm so grateful. Gathry, what advice do you have for someone who is in a position you might have been in like maybe five years ago or so, you know, maybe thinking about making a major career transition from being a high achieving employee, including perhaps being in a a managerial or leadership role to going solo? What, What advice would you have for them to try to help them through that transition as, uh, as smoothly as possible? I think being really clear on your passions and your purpose, David, I feel like every time I look back on the hardships, because as we know, this entrepreneurial journey going solo can feel lonely, right? (laughs) It's very lonely, but I think what keeps me going every morning is I'm waking up and I'm excited to start my day. I'm excited to do this work. And no matter what challenge comes, I have this mindset of I'm going to get through that. I'm going to learn something new. Like, how cool is that? And so... I think if someone's considering this transition, it really is about getting clear on what excites you, what problem do you feel this burning desire to solve, and and focusing on that first, as opposed to all of the other aspects of it, like all of that uh, business side that we spoke about, right? Like, how am I going to make money and what services? And I think that stuff will, those puzzle pieces will eventually come into play. But the first thing is having a sense of purpose for what you want to do and being really clear on that. I would say that would be the number one advice I would give anyone thinking about the transition. Yeah, it's good advice. And Gayathri, first of all, congratulations on everything that you've achieved so far. It is a very challenging transition and sounds like um, you've made it work pretty well. What's in store in the future? Yeah, I, uh, you know, David, it's interesting you asked me that because I've been thinking about this you know, what what I want to do for 2022. And those projects that I mentioned to you, for sure, I think getting that book published this spring is my biggest goal. Uh, and I'm super excited about that because um, this book is a little different because I'm also enabling and teaching all of the participants how to write their, uh, you know, memoir or their experience with the topic that we're talking about. So there's a little bit of a higher degree of involvement for me in doing that. So I'm really looking forward to getting that uh, completed. And I'm also looking forward to 
somehow finding a way of balance in my life. And I think that's probably been the most challenging piece is uh, I've ended up, you know, at times um, feeling like I'm overworking because I'm taking on way too many things. I hadn't said no previously when I needed to say no because there was too much on my plate already. And so I'm learning how to become more balanced and learning how to prioritize what I accept even in terms of client engagements. And I'm a lot more selective about who I want to work with just because I'm realizing that there's, I don't want to create a bottleneck by uh, saying yes to too many things. And so being more strategic about how I plan that business planning cycle going forward is also something I'm thinking about and working on. Very smart. Gathery, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today or access any resources you have, including your podcast, et cetera, where would be the best place for them to go? Yeah, for sure. I would love for folks, if you're interested, to check out campfirekinship.com. And I can send you that link, David. But I have uh, lots of resources there, including a free guide on how to write your first life story. I think a lot of folks struggle sometimes with that self-reflection piece when you maybe don't know what question to even ask yourself, right? (laughs) And how to come across in a way that honors that lived experience. So I have a free guide on how to write your first life story. The podcast is called Hearth to Heart. Uh, It is available on all the podcast platforms. And it really is about, you know, if if you're seeking inspiration on, you know, how to find purpose and belonging, it really is a collection of stories of everyday role models. I'll call it, um, who are leading a life of purpose and belonging. And so there's some inspiration there. There's lots of stories on my Instagram account. I feature everyday role models who want to share their story on, on my account, which is campfire underscore kinship. And so those are some ways to, yeah, start piquing your interest on how to do this inclusion and diversity, how to approach this topic from a sense of that storytelling side. Sounds good. Well, we'll we will certainly include um, the links in the show notes. So very easy to access them that way. Gayathri, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and share your your story and your insights. My guest today has been the founder of Campfire Kinship, Gayathri Shukla. Thank you again, Gayathri, for joining us. Thank you so much, David, for having me. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Learning and consistency are two of the themes you've heard from Gayathri. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, we provide consistent learning opportunities and the camaraderie of supportive, collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.